0: In Canada's current opioid epidemic, take home naloxone kits are an integral part of the harm reduction strategy. The kits are now available without a prescription and can be used by health professionals and the general public as a potentially life-saving treatment for opioid overdose. I'm Dr. Ken Flagel, Senior Editor for CMAJ. Today I'm speaking with two emergency medicine physicians who have co-authored a practice article in CMAJ called Five Things to Know About Take-Home Naloxone. Dr. Thara Kumar is an emergency medicine resident in her fifth and final year of training at the University of Ottawa with a global health certificate from Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Hans Rosenberg is an emergency physician at the Ottawa Hospital and an assistant professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. They are joining me today to discuss take-home naloxone kits. Hello, Dr. Kumar.
1: Hi, Dr. Fickle. Thank you for having me.
2: Hello, Dr. Rosenberg. Hello, and also thank you very much for having me and Thara here today. Dr. Kumar,
0: how available are naloxone kits in Canada at this point?
1: So they're becoming more and more widely available. Um, Each province has slightly different guidelines and locations where you can access these kits, but generally speaking, they're being made available from um, specific pharmacies, community health centers, some provincial correctional facilities, and even walk-in clinics and emergency departments. Um, Even on the Government of Canada website for naloxone, you can actually look province by province at specifically what locations within each city are offering these kits.
0: Do you need a prescription? How much do they cost?
1: So the cost of a typical kit, again, varies slightly from province to province because they are individually packaged by each distributor. But roughly it's $35 per kit. However, the vast majority of centers are distributing kits without prescription and without cost. Um, as long as you meet some very general and broad criteria. Um, And those general criteria are basically just that you are either a current opioid or past opioid user at risk of using again, or a family, friend, or any person who might be in a position to help an opioid user at some point. Um, So the criteria are very broad, designed to sort of apply to almost anybody. And with that criteria, you can generally access these kits for free from those distribution centers.
0: Dr. Rosenberg, what is in the take-home kit?
2: Although there's some slight variability in what's in the kits, uh, the main components are as follows. There's two ampules of naloxone, each one containing 0.4 milligrams per vial. There are two safety-engineered syringes, two ampules opening devices, alcohol swabs, non-latex gloves, a rescue breathing barrier, and instructions. Now, the instructions may vary from one area to the next, But in essence, they tend to include a way to try to rouse the patient, ensuring to call 911, and then the the instructions on how to administer the naloxone and reassess your patient.
0: How does naloxone work?
1: So naloxone is effectively a competitive opioid antagonist. So it works at mu, kappa, and delta receptors, and it actually displaces receptor-bound opioids, causing an immediate reversal of opioid effects. It has no morphine-like agonistic properties at the receptors, Um, so it just reverses the effects of the opioid. The duration of action is about 20 to 90 minutes, uh, which is notably shorter than the duration of action of most opioids themselves, and it can be administered uh, through many different routes, intravenous, intramuscular, subcuticular, intraosseous, and even through an endotracheal tube in a hospital setting. Uh, The onset of action is typically about three to five minutes through any one of those routes. The only route that naloxone does not work well through is oral intake, so it's very poor oral absorption.
0: So when should one use the contents of this kit?
2: Well, the main indication for using a naloxone kit is respiratory depression. Now, as clinicians, we tend to think of that as a respiratory rate of less than 12 or if the patient is hypoxic, which, as we all know, is a very late clinical effect of respiratory depression. However, for the late person that's using a take-home naloxone kit, it'll probably be a combination of decreased level of consciousness to the point that they cannot wake up uh, the patient in addition to respiratory depression. It is important, though, that when we are giving out these uh, naloxone kits that we tell the patients or their family members whoever is with them that simply decreased level of consciousness on its own is not an indication for naloxone unless it's a very rare case of example something like a pediatric opioid ingestion uh, where in that case you you would be okay using just the naloxone.
0: So Dr. Rosenberg if it were someone's mother giving it to her son a lay person I'm presuming that the intramuscular route is the easiest thing to do?
2: Absolutely. So in most of the instruction kits, they essentially try to keep things as simple as possible. So they tell you to drop the one mil of naloxone. So that's your 0.4 milligrams and you inject it intramuscularly. You're either going to go deltoid, lateral thigh or buttocks. Now, as you mentioned, if it's some a patient's mother, they may not be that handy with syringes, but in a bit of irony and I guess useful irony um, a lot of the patients and the people who are going to be using uh, the take naloxone kits will actually be quite familiar with the use of syringes and needles so this process tends to be relatively easy for them.
0: Is there any preference to giving it in the upper versus the lower body such as a, there is say with insulin?
2: There doesn't appear to be from any of the literature that we've looked at. So as long as it's a big muscle, that's really what the teaching is. Uh, with the needles, they should be able to get down to the muscle, whether it's the buttocks, the lateral thigh, or the uh, shoulder. And the absorption should be pretty much the same.
0: Okay. And there's no difference by gender in, in the use of the drug, I presume?
2: Uh, not that we know of at all. It should be equal, male, female, doesn't matter.
0: What about body mass?
2: Body mass may uh, come into play when we're really talking about the pediatric population. If you're, again, if it's a pediatric uh, ingestion, then at at that point, you're sort of going with dosing that's 0.01 milligrams per kilogram. But once we get to adults, because the kids do have the the two doses, you can actually essentially go with your 0.4, and then if you need more, do the second dose. The one very good thing about naloxone is it has very, very few adverse side effects so even if it is a very thin individual you're still going to be at a safe um, at a safe medication dose if you're using the 0.4 milligrams
0: is there any risk with recurrent use of developing allergy
2: that's a good question as far as uh, i've looked at in in any of the literature and i could make sure with uh, dr kumar who's reviewed this extensively i do not know of any uh re- or commonly reported allergy with repeat use of the medication.
1: Uh, That's correct. As far as I'm aware, there's no um, allergy associated with use or any reduction in the efficacy of the drug with repeated use over time. Uh, And I'll also just emphasize for the pediatric population that the risk of using too much naloxone or using a bigger dose of naloxone than needed is really minimal. If there's too much naloxone on board, it just may not have an effect beyond a certain point. But the only real danger of overdosing the naloxone is pushing a patient into withdrawal. So if a patient is is dependent on opioids, then you may induce a withdrawal syndrome by giving naloxone. And in the pediatric population, we generally don't have as many patients who are opioid dependent. It's usually an accidental overdose. So actually, in that population, we're often giving larger initial doses of naloxone than we give in the adult population because that risk of withdrawal is not there.
0: Dr. Kumar, does naloxone always work in someone who stopped breathing and clearly has an opioid overdose?
1: Yeah, so that's a difficult question. In theory, naloxone is entirely effective at reversing opioid overdoses. So if you have an infinite supply of naloxone, it would be expected to be nearly 100% effective at reversing an opioid overdose. Um, So in a healthcare setting in particular, once you're getting to really big doses like 10 or 15 milligrams of naloxone with no clinical effect, at that point I would start considering that maybe the patient's clinical state is due to some other cause rather than due to an opioid overdose. In the setting of the doses we're talking about in the take kits, which is 2.4 milligram doses, um, I think the best you could say is that it's very likely to be effective um, and will likely create at least enough reversal of the overdose to restore respirations and buy enough time for an ambulance crew to arrive and to get the patient to definitive care. And I think that's really the main goal. It's not necessarily to completely reverse the overdose. But it's to restore respirations enough to keep that patient alive until they can get to definitive care. And I think that's where it's really important to emphasize that even if naloxone is given, EMS still should be called to the scene, and that basic life support principles are essential as an adjunct to giving naloxone.
0: So, so to come back to that uh, poor mother, while she's busy fumbling with the syringe, she can be uh, calling for other family members, and when they come to begin administering some sort of uh, respiratory assistance to the patient, would you say?
1: Exactly, yeah. So what we really want to emphasize as these kits are being distributed and made more public, as part of that training, we want to emphasize that the first step should always be to call 911. So any person who's found in an overdose setting a call 2911 to get uh, EMS en route is an essential first step even before the kit is opened, And that's also reinforced in the instruction kits included with the take-home naloxone. And once that's done, uh, then they can proceed with trying to administer the naloxone to the patient. But things like CPR in a patient without a pulse and giving respirations if the provider is adequately trained to do that uh, are definitely essential adjuncts to giving naloxone to try to tie that patient over until EMS arrival.
0: Dr. Rosenberg, for healthcare workers who would like to receive training or get additional information, what sort of resources are available?
2: Well, there are a number of resources available, but two that I would uh, strongly suggest are, one is if you actually go to Canada.ca and then just search Naloxone or Google Canada and Naloxone, one of the first hits you'll get, will be links to resources regarding take home Naloxone for each province. Within each provincial site, there's also information on what we talked about already today, but also locations, uh, that so specific locations within an area Within a municipality where the kits are available, where resources are available, where, um, you know, community services are going to be available for patients or family members who would either like to obtain a take-home naloxone kit or learn more about them. The other site that I really like is uh, TowardTheHeart.com. This is from the BC Center for Disease Control. It's a website focused on harm reduction, and it contains an entire section, including a video, actually, that shows uh, patients and their family members how to actually administer uh, the naloxone. So it's a, a nice little training. It's about 12 minutes, this video, and it's very well done, very clear, and then that way, if you ever have to use it, I think you'd be quite comfortable.
1: One additional resource that could be useful is the Metafy initiative, based out of the Toronto Women's College Hospital. Uh, Metafy stands for Mentoring Education and Clinical Tools for Addiction Primary Care Hospital Integration, and it's an initiative that provides resources for physicians, nurses, pharmacists, and patients regarding opioids and other forms of addiction. Uh, and the website is quite intuitive and useful and it includes free online modules regarding how to approach opioid use disorder how to initiate those difficult conversations and how to introduce various treatment options
0: so i'd like to come to the end of our interview with a with a general question and i'd like to start with dr kumar i'm going to ask you each this question how complete an approach is the use of naloxone to our problem of opioid induced death
1: I think that's a really good question, and I think that's been a big part of the discussion around take-home naloxone kits. I think we can't make the mistake of thinking this is a solution to the opioid epidemic. Take-home naloxone kits are very much a band-aid sort of solution to try to keep these patients alive while we sort out this broader epidemic. Um, And I think it's gonna be a long time before we have a solution to the overall epidemic. But take-home naloxone kits, while they are essential at keeping these patients alive and safe, are just one of many harm reduction strategies that are needed to be able to address the opioid epidemic in a complete way. And along with that, I think we need to have a bit of a culture change in terms of how we perceive drug addiction and treat drug addiction in Canada. Um, and all of that together is what's really going to address the opioid epidemic.
0: Dr. Rosenberg? Dr. Rosenberg?
2: So uh, if I may, I think, uh, as Thara has already mentioned, this is, uh, you know, very much a harm reduction strategy. As such, there are mostly positives, at least in my mind, but there are some negatives uh, with any harm reduction strategy, such as people being more comfortable with the fact that if they do overdose, for example, that they do have the naloxone kit there. And there have been some studies that showed that a very, very small percentage of opioid users actually feel more comfortable doing higher doses unfortunately if they have take home naloxone so it is simply not the answer it is part of the answer i think a couple of important things that we all need to do as uh, health practitioners is one if you're prescribing opioids in general you need to keep unnecessary opioid prescriptions off the street so if the patient does not require opioids simply do not make that prescription discuss the risk of addiction with patients whenever you do prescribe opioids For all my patients in the emergency department, it's one of the first things I let them know. If I'm going to be prescribing an opioid after, say, a fracture, I'll let them know, please be aware that opioids are very addictive, and therefore they must be used appropriately and as prescribed. The next part is that for patients who are on chronic opioids, you always want to reassess if the dose that they're using, is that necessary, or can we go lower, or can it actually be stopped? And then the last part, again, and these are for people when I'm prescribing opioids in general, is to counsel the patients regarding the dangers of opioids, especially when they're mixed with other medications or illegal substances. Now, a second part to this is then that discussion that you might have with an actual opioid user. So what are the things that I would suggest to my colleagues? I'd say, make sure that you tell them to keep the uh, prescription safely stored, away from children, away from teens. Don't mix drugs. Don't take them with alcohol don't use opioids alone. If you are going to use them, have somebody with you, have somebody who knows how to use a take-home naloxone kit. Also, as a practitioner, I think it's really important for me to know what resources are available in my community so that I can make a referral when it is appropriate. And one of the other things, and and I think this is really important, again, to to our patients who are opioid users, is you should let them know that Just recently, in 2016, the Good Samaritan Drug Overdose Act passed. Now, this is an act that actually provides an exemption from charges of simple possession of a controlled substance, uh, from charges concerning a pretrial release, probation order, conditional sentence, or parole violations related to simple possession. For people who call 911 themselves for another person suffering of an overdose, and this is key because the data clearly shows that people have a fear about calling 911 because they know that police will show up, and often they are involved in illegal activities. And then the last part, and I think Dr. Kumar already touched on this, but I I, I think it's so important is we have to be clear about our messaging to patients and to our colleagues. That the addiction that is at the root of the crisis needs to be treated as any disease like any other without blame or judgment we're here to help them and we're here to ideally stop the addiction and help them with that
1: um, so i'll just add to what dr rosenberg said uh, with regards to treating pain as a clinician i think clinicians often feel a bit between a rock and a hard place in terms of how to treat pain effectively in their patients while being cautious of the opioid epidemic in front of us. And there are a couple of new guidelines that have come out recently to help clinicians. Um, In 2017, the College of Family Physicians of Canada released the Canadian Guidelines for Opioids in Chronic Non-Cancer Pain. And the Ontario chapter of the CFPO also released consensus guidelines on opioid prescribing from the emergency department. So I think that those are potentially really useful resources for clinicians to see how they can continue to manage pain effectively while being cautious. And also I just wanna emphasize that setting up this opioid epidemic, it's really important as clinicians that we look for those signs of opioid dependence and development of opioid use disorder. I think there exists in both physician culture as well as in society in general, a bit of a stigma and a stereotype of what a quote-unquote addict looks like. And I think it's really important to be aware that those stigmas are not necessarily true and we need to really break those down and understand that anyone is potentially susceptible to addiction and that opioid use disorder is a disease like any other Um, That can happen in a wide variety of patients from different backgrounds, and it's really important we be vigilant about the signs of opioid use disorder and support our patients through treatment and identify those problems in our population.
0: Colleagues, thank you for doing this interview. Thank you very much for having us.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: I've been speaking with Dr. Thera Kumar, emergency medicine resident at the University of Ottawa, and Dr. Hans Rosenberg, an emergency physician at the Ottawa Hospital. They have co-authored a CMAJ practice article titled, Five Things to Know About Take-Home Naloxone. To read the article they co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. If you've been listening to our CMAJ broadcasts, let us know how we're doing. Please give us a rating on iTunes or give us your feedback on SoundCloud or on any of our social media channels.